0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this morning. We turn to the letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, which we've been working through rather haltingly for some time. In order to see the context for the words of 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 13 beginning at verse 1 to the first verse of chapter 14. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to chapter 14, verse 1. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a face that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. I preached to you this morning from the Word of our God, as you find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 1 to verse 19. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 1, ending at verse 19. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played, unless there is a distinction in the notes Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he doesn't know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a ton. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, back in 1901 in San Francisco, California, a new movement arose in Christianity that has had a profound impact on many, many churches around the world, also in China and Canada. It was in that year that Pentecostalism, with its insistence on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, arose. In other words, ordinary water baptism, either as a child or as an adult, is not enough. It was being said that was just a first step. You need to experience another baptism. You also need to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what is that all about? Simply put, it's about a closer, bolder, more enthusiastic walk with God. And that sounds good. Who can argue with that and who cannot use that? But it's also more. It's also about miracles about prophecies, and it's about tongues. After an absence of almost 2,000 years, tongues were making a comeback big time. And true, in the past, it had been there in heretical and fringe groups of Christianity, but now it was going mainstream. We were told that for 2,000 years, the church had been sinning against God, but now at the beginning... Of the 20th century, a new era has dawned. The era of the latter reign. The era of the Holy Spirit. And tongues, we're also told, are the proof. So, beloved, where does that leave us? As a Canadian Reformed Church, we do not teach that you need to experience a second baptism called the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And neither do we insist that you need to strive and to pray for the gift of speaking in tongues. Are we wrong in that? Are we in error? Are we missing out on something that is really important and essential? Well, beloved, this morning, as we continue to do what we have been doing before I went to China... And that is, work our way through the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. And as such, we've come, as you see, to chapter 14. What's that all about? It's about tongues. It's about prophecy. It's about those things that people still today wonder about, argue about, speak about. Only the question is, does the Apostle Paul Speak about it in the same way. Are modern Pentecostals and Neo-Pentecostals in step with the Apostle Paul? Let's reflect on that together. I preached to you on the scene. Paul addresses the Corinthians on the matter of speaking in tongues. we are going to first ask, what are they? Secondly, how are we to evaluate them? And thirdly, We're going to ask about a better way. Well, beloved, you have heard how in this particular chapter, and even already before this chapter began, the Apostle Paul is making reference to the speaking in tongues. And then we need to ask ourselves, what is that? What are these tongues? And what does it mean to speak in tongues? For an answer, we need to turn to the relevant biblical passages Yes, and I might say that it is there that we perhaps get our first big surprise. Because it is the fact that only in this letter to the church at Corinth does the Apostle Paul mention tongues. In his letter to Rome, to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and even in his letters to Timothy as well as to Titus, he says nothing about tongues. Strange, to say the least. Why, if this is such an essential spiritual gift, is it not being mentioned more often by him? And why, for example, is it not included among, let's say, the fruits of the Holy Spirit or among the qualifications for being a pastor, elder, or deacon in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ? So that's the first surprise. We really have it by the Apostle Paul only here in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and especially 14. But that's not all, beloved, for we have to say that the Apostle Luke, or the writer Luke, also mentions it when he writes the Acts of the Apostles. And there we have it mentioned, for example, in Acts chapter 2 in connection with the Feast of Pentecost. We read, for example, in verse 4 of Acts 2, and following all of them, meaning the disciples of the 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then it goes on and it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language it would appear beloved that through the power of the holy spirit believers began to speak in foreign tongues that they had never learned with the results that those who spoke those tongues or heard those tongues explained we hear them declaring the wonders of god in our own tongues Uh, Beloved, in addition to Acts chapter 2, there is also Acts chapter 10. There Peter has arrived in Caesarea and is meeting together with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, as well as with his relatives and friends. And, And then we are told that while the Apostle Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard his message and they began to speak in tongues. Why did it happen then and there? But well, the answer surely is in verse 45 of Acts 10. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. You see, it would appear that the Spirit came and used tongues to show that also the Gentiles were now part and parcel of the church of Jesus Christ. But that is not all. For there is one more reference to the gift of tongues and you find it also in the book of Acts in chapter 19, verse 6. And there it takes place in connection with the disciples of John the Baptist. And by being poured out on them, it says they too were included and gathered into the Christian church. So beloved, what do we have? We have three references to the book of tongues or to the exercise of tongues in the book of Acts. And all of those references have to do with the Spirit enabling believers to speak real human languages. Languages that they have never learned. In Jerusalem, Caesarea, as well as in Ephesus, the Spirit caused believers to experience what we call Xenoglossia, foreign or strange languages. But then, beloved, if the first surprise has to do with the fact that all of these references to tongues are in Acts and in 1 Corinthians especially chapter 14, there's another surprise. And it is this. For now, when we turn to the writings of Pentecostal and neo-Pentecostal scholars and commentators, we see that they cannot decide among themselves whether or not what happened in the book of Acts and what happened in the church at Corinth are one and the same thing. Some of them insist that what happens in Acts and what Paul is referring to in Corinth are actually the same phenomenon. But others disagree. They insist that what took place in Corinth was different. It was a different kind of tongue. They've even given it a name called glossolalia. Speaking in verbal patterns that cannot be identified with any human language. And so they allege that in the book of Acts, Believers are speaking unlearned human languages. Whereas in the church of Corinth, they're speaking unlearned, unhuman Holy Spirit language. And in that regard, some even speak and say that in Corinth, it was a matter of ecstatic utterances. Well, beloved, what are we to make of all of this? Are tongues human languages? Are tongues some special kind of Holy Spirit language? What are they? Well, beloved, while recognizing that there are differences between the acts of the apostles and 1 Corinthians in terms of use, purpose, and circumstances, it has to be said that surely the burden of proof lies with those who say that the Corinthian tongues are fundamentally different. If all of the references in the book of Acts are to real human languages, on what basis is that any difference in 1 Corinthians 14? So what are the tongues being referred to in 1 Corinthians 14? They're most likely a reference to the fact that the Holy Spirit empowered believers to speak in real human languages, languages that these believers never knew before and had never used before either. And that, if you think of it, we need to acknowledge, was quite the gift. In a way, it's no wonder that the Corinthian believers zeroed in on it and put a lot of stock in it. As a matter of fact, you can read that in previous chapters. The Corinthian believers seem to have developed a hierarchy of spiritual gifts. And as far as many of them were concerned, the first and the primary gift was the gift of tongues. That was number one. And the result was that those who spoke in tongues in the Corinthian church prided themselves on this spiritual ability. And it didn't take long before they puffed up with a sense of pride and self-importance. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Tongues fine." But then Paul says tongues are to be used and spoken in love. But nevertheless, that is not all. For all through this next chapter of 1 Corinthians 14, which is our text, Paul makes another important point. And it's not so much about love as it is about this whole matter uh, and the nature of tongues. Tongues. And indeed he states that while tongues have their place in the church, they also have their limitations. In particular, they have their limitations when it comes to areas of understanding. For example, read verse 2, where Paul says, For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with the spirit. And in verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, I would like everyone to speak in tongues, but... Notice the but. And in verse 6, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will that be to you? And in verse 11 and 12, he says, If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me, and so it is with you. And in verse 14 he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Do you grasp what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's saying there's a problem with tongues. There's a limitation. Suppose that here in this assembly, this morning in this worship service, one of you was suddenly to stand up and give a long speech in Swahili. Now, I think that would be interesting, and it would be neat. But you might ask, beyond that, what would it do for us? We would be hearing all kinds of foreign sounds, but that's probably all, unless, of course, some of you understand Swahili. You see, it would be nothing but gibberish, noises, sounds, vocalizations. God would know what you were saying if you were the speaker and if it was really a tongue. But the rest of us would be in the dark and left scratching our heads. It would be an impressive display. But it would be an unspiritual exercise as well. And you know, beloved, that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he refers to flutes and harps and trumpets in the verses 7 and 8. Hand one of those instruments to a person who reads no musical notes and doesn't know how to play, and what do you get? You get noise. Not notes, music, and harmony, but Noise ear-splitting, headache-causing, nerve-rattling noise. So is there a solution to all of this? As Paul says, there is. and He says the solution is to be found in an interpreter. Look at verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. And later on in verse 27, he adds, if if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Curly, beloved, the point could not be any clearer. Paul is saying that if the Corinthians want to speak publicly in tongues, fine, but they should only do so if there is someone present who can interpret what they are saying. And if there is no interpreter, then he should keep his tongue private between himself and God. In short then, the public use of tongues requires an interpreter. And without one, silence is better. As Paul remarks in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. But then, beloved, if the Apostle Paul sees a place for the speaking in tongues in the church of his day, you'll also notice from our scripture reading that he also sees something far better. And what is better than tongues? He says it's prophecy. In verse 14, verse 1, Paul states, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift, not of tongues, no, he says the gift of prophecy. And thereafter he proceeds time and time again to tell us why prophecy is superior to tongues. Verse 3 he says, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And in verse 4 he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And in verse 5 he adds, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues but I would rather have you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. In all of this, beloved, surely it is plain that the Apostle Paul is arguing the case for the superiority of prophecy over tongues. And he knows, of course, that the Corinthians are much in love with tongues. After all, tongues are mysterious, tongues are exciting, tongues are intoxicating and dramatic. Prophecy, on the other hand, is so much plainer. And we're down to earth. For what is prophecy? What does the Apostle Paul mean with the word prophecy? Many of us hear that word and we immediately think that it has to do with predicting future events. In that connection we sometimes think of Agabus who predicted both the famine in Jerusalem as well as the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul. But really, beloved, if you study it you soon see that prophecy is much wider than simply predicting future events. Prophecy has to do with communicating God's will to God's people. Prophecy has to do with encouraging, instructing, guiding, teaching, warning and edifying God's people. Indeed, at its heart and at its center, prophecy is all about Jesus Christ. Do all the scriptures and all the words of prophecy not prophesy about him? Do all the scriptures not find their fulfillment in him? Do all the scriptures, as he himself says in John 5.39, ultimately point to him? So why is prophecy greater? You could say that prophecy surpasses tongues because it has immediate and obvious content or substance. It's filled with meaning and instruction. It has to do with understanding. Tongues, on the other hand, are much more about experience than about feelings. You see, beloved, there's also a a bit of a tug of war going on in 1 Corinthians 14. There's a contrast or a contest about what will triumph in the church of Christ. Will it be feeling or will it be understanding? And the Apostle Paul pleads eloquently for the latter. And that's something that should get us thinking too. We live in a day and an age where we are constantly being told that true religion is all about feelings. All about religious experiences and emotions. People are much quicker to say, I feel than I believe. Emotion is so much more appreciated than anything that has to do with comprehension or logic or understanding. Yes, and the Apostle Paul warns us about that here. And now get me right, he's not saying there is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for emotions and feelings, even as expressed in tongues. He's not saying that. But rather he's saying there is much more profit in understanding, And in prophecy, remember five intelligible words to instruct others carry more weight than 10,000 words in a tongue. And perhaps that's also the thing that we need to remember in this whole controversy about tongues. Those who insist that you and I today need to speak in tongues, often fail to take seriously what the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13, but especially in chapter 14. They also tend to ignore the superiority of prophecy, and they ignore the requirement of an interpreter being present. And in addition, they are divided among themselves as to what it is that really constitutes a tongue. Is it a matter of real language? Or is it a matter of some kind of mysterious Holy Spirit language? Just what is it? And how can you insist on something when you yourself do not even know exactly what it is that you are insisting upon. Beloved, the Spirit gave the gift of tongues in terms of real languages to the church long ago. Does he still do so today? Well, if 2,000 years of church history are any indicator, the answer is no. If the confusing message that we get today is about the nature of tongues as any indication, then the answer is no. And if we add up all of the dubious tales, testimonies, and experiences that we hear and weigh them carefully and cautiously, the answer is still no. Is that sad? Is that distressing? No, for we have a more abiding gift in the church today. We have the results of the gift of prophecy in the rich and abiding word of God. We have the testimony of Jesus in written form. And we have the Spirit who takes that testimony and still edifies the church today.